politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight anew for our life, liberty, and property. And when we say life, we mean literally in all of its sense, not just the life of our country, which is pretty much lost, but the life of our individual souls, which are on the line. Pretty much our government has subjected us to every known threat known to men. It's funny, you know, we're here today, Monday morning, uh, November 6th, brand new week, and I was obviously planning on talking about the threat to our lives from the Muslim Brotherhood and the Islamist nutcases that we uh, brought into the country. You saw rallying and destroying property, vandalizing right literally at the White House gate, and nothing happened to them, of course. And then, as I'm going to air here, it's breaking the news that the Nashville shooter, you know, the tranny shooter that shot up the Christian uh, school, turns out at least part of the manifesto has finally been leaked, and we see ubiquitous violence against white people expressed in that manifesto. So it's like... Our government through the anarcho-tyranny has militarized every force against humanity you could imagine. I want to delve into that just a little bit. I'm, you know, we're going to focus on it more as it comes out throughout the week. I want to focus more on the Islamic threat, but there is a common thread between the two. So I think what we'll do is we'll we'll first pray, then prepare, then inform. So first, the prayer is Isaiah fifty four seventeen. No weapon that is formed against you shall prosper, and every tongue that shall rise against you in judgment, thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and the righteousness is of me, says the Lord. And uh, boy, we have a lot of weapons that are against us, weaponized in civilization, um, to prepare. Well, folks... We're a little bit more than a month out from our December 18th Patriot Academy handgun defense course that we're going to take together. I will be in Fredericksburg, Texas at the Patriot Academy uh, campus December 18th. It's a four-day training, Monday through Thursday. And I'm telling you, folks, if you have not signed up, it is not too late. There's still spots left. It's a $2,000 course that's discounted for just 400 bucks. You know, a lot of you out there are like, oh, I got my gun. But how many of you in a situation where you're, you know, like like the Nashville case, whether it's a tranny violence, a jailbreak, an illegal alien, Islamic nutcase. I mean, now is the time where we're beleaguered with all sorts of threats. You need to be able to properly draw and shoot. We always champion, oh, you know, civilians carrying. You see these cases where... We're able to diffuse the situation. But what if you're called upon to be that person? So it's not just enough to advocate for the right to carry, but also the, the prerogative to train. And that's what we do. We train on marksmanship, drawing from the holster, clearing malfunctions, um, situational awareness, how to win a gunfight. It is fun. It's informative. It's transformational. It's life-saving. And we'll have a lot of fun together. We could talk and schmooze. Um, I will be down for three days of the course before I go back home. So we know a lot of you live in Texas. 
you could just ride on right over there. So you don't even have to worry about uh, shipping your ammo or buying it at Patriot Academy. Bring your guns, your ammo there, and your holster. Go to patriotacademy.com slash Daniel. It's patriotacademy.com slash Daniel to learn about the schedule, uh, the specifications, what you need to bring with you. Let me know if you have questions. Daniel Hurwitz at startmail.com. But really looking forward to meeting all of you there. So we pray, we prepare, and train, and now we got to inform. So first, again, just before I talk about the latest, you know, the main course today, the Nashville shooter, so from what I can see, um, there's a line there just in that paper that was leaked from what I can see as of now. Now, remember, this individual is white, uh, a, a woman who thought she was a man and became a tranny, was doped up on hormones, and... As Dr. McCullough said when we had him on, there's a lot of evidence that the Trini Jihad is targeting particularly autistic kids. So autistic kids, their brains will will lock in on certain obsessions in society. I mean, that's why you're seeing a copycat mentality, whether it's a school shooting or a thing like that. But what's the biggest copycat mentality? At a 30,000-foot view... What is the biggest war against humanity in every embedded in every aspect of society, law, government, culture, education? That is a war on whites. So even though this individual was white, but as someone who was probably autistic and then doped up with all these hormones, wrote a bunch of little faggots with your white privilege and talked about a bunch of, you know, white this, white that. I hope I have a high death count. So very interesting that, I mean, at least from what we could see so far, it wasn't so much anti-Christian dogma. It might be in there, but just from the paper that was leaked so far, it's not. It's anti-white. And that is what every young Gen Z individual is being reared upon. And I think that's a good segue into the main topic today. What you're seeing with this ubiquitous and spontaneous pro-Hamas obsession. And we'll do a show with Andy No later this week about the cross-pollination between that and BLM Antifa. But it's the same thing. It's rooted in anti-white when they talk about de- decolonization. It's the same thing. Jews are considered the ultimate white because even though, especially the Jews in Israel, a lot of them aren't even white. Um, but the point is, that Jews are considered successful, they'll consider them wealthy, so everything that goes on in in life that they're upset about is all because of what? Well, it's the white man's fault, and then most particularly, the Jews. That's the foundation for it. Now, obviously, there's there's an extra degree of lighter fluid uh, spilled on that fire from Islamic Jihad itself, which is particularly targeting of Jews and and the next Christians. So it was more of a religious thing than a racial thing when jihad got off the ground in the old days. But in its modern iteration, which I'm going to talk about the origins of modern jihad, because, you know, it's been on and off since Muhammad. Sometimes they're more peaceful, sometimes not. It's really been enmeshed in racial warfare, in in BLM, BLM is relatively new, but the forerunners to it, which is why there's so much, um, there was such an effort on the black Muslim 
agenda with Farrakhan and all that, and that all came from the Muslim Brotherhood. It is all at its core a war on whites. And it's a blood libel. A blood libel is when you accuse, wrongly accuse people of of being responsible for death and mayhem and all your trouble, and that legitimizes your ability to just kill them and do whatever you want. So that's what we're facing now. I just wanted wanted you to know, almost every threat we face has its origins in the war on whites, including the tranny stuff. Now, the tranny stuff is more a function of you just take a bunch of young people, often already have some sort of uh, mental illness, and then make them extremely violent, and then violent people who have a mental illness, their brains will lock in on the most per basically pervasive blood libel around, which is that it's it's the white man's fault. And that leads me to the Muslim Brotherhood. So how is it that we have such organized, spontaneous, massive numbers of people yelling in the streets from the river to the sea, promising another Holocaust against Jews, denying it took place, but then promising to do it again, Now, you might say, well, what do you mean? We let in hundreds of thousands of these hyenas. Since 1950, in uh, the Western Hemisphere, the Muslim population has grown ninefold since 1950, and most of that's going to be more in the recent few decades. By the way, interesting statistic. In Europe, in 1939, there were 10 million Jews and 1 million Muslims, and mainly concentrated in only a few southeastern countries. Now, there are 5 million Jews, so it's cut in in, in half, and 52 million Muslims. So, that's definitely why, but where is this organized effort? And that is the Muslim Brotherhood that operates in every aspect of law, society, and particularly our government, which is saturated at the highest levels of DHS, DOD, and state. With the Muslim Brotherhood. And so much of that flows from there. When you look at this administration's policies, how did they come out with Islamophobia? So a bunch of Muslims get together and slaughter 1,400 Jews in the worst way imaginable. And then Muslims gather throughout the West chanting for more jihad against Jews. And then you sell it, then, then rather than focusing on anti Semitism or just in general, just protecting Western civilization. They focus on Islamophobia. That is because the Muslim Brotherhood runs this administration. We need immediately a knockdown, drag out fight in Congress to designate the Muslim Brotherhood. And yes, all of its tentacles, Ikna, Isna, CARE, which is the most famous one, Muslim Student Association as terrorist organizations. You have the right to chant from the river to the sea in this country. Although again, as we've noted, if you're a foreign national, we could deport you. But you don't have a right to fund and harbor and collaborate with actual terrorists, which these organizations do. So we we had this rally where they broke the outer perimeters. They were able to literally shake the gate of the White House. There's graffiti all over Lafayette Park, but also the White House gate and the White House, um, you know, the, the concrete there. 
Has a single person been charged? Remember, these are things for which uh, Proud Boy got 17 years in prison, shaking a fence outside the Capitol on January 6th. I think that was Joe Biggs. So our nation's capital has been conquered. And yet nothing. That is a symbol of the caliphate conquering America, but also the anarcho-tyranny we have. That as long as you fly a Hamas flag, you could uh, break laws. As long as you're not a patriot American who served in the military and has no criminal record. Truly disgusting. But then there's another big story that's gotten pigeonholed in the media from over the weekend. First, our sponsor today is Raycon. You know, it's not too early to start shopping for Christmas. Uh, It gives people nightmares, whether it's Christmas, uh, birthdays, anniversaries. You know, over the years, you run out of ideas of, of clever, unique gifts. Raycon is amazing because it's really the only quality premium audio brand for uh, everyday earbuds <coughs> that is not subject to premium prices. And what they're doing now is they're starting their early Black Friday sale right now, the entire month of November, 50% off. So I love these earbuds because, first of all, the, the it's the only thing that fits good in my ear, 32-hour battery life, near-perfect um, all day, you know, it lasts all day. And then what I found on a, on a recent trip is that their um, their five star reviewed Magic One Thirty cables allow you to charge eight times quicker. It's really pretty amazing that uh, even at the end of the day, I was able to put it in for just like ten minutes and it was ready to go. Uh, mo- mostly, I mean, it was it, it it's uh really quick, which is a problem now with a, a lot of things not charging quickly enough. So to get everyone in the holiday shopping spirit a bit early, Raycon is offering 20% off everything, but select products have 50% off. So head over to buyraycon.com slash conservative to get 20 to 50% off site-wide. Again, celebrate right now with early Black Friday at buyraycon.com slash conservative. So this other story that you guys might have seen, some maybe didn't see this. This is from the Texan. A 20-year-old Jordanian man in custody on suspicion of illegally possessing a firearm as an alien reportedly threatened to commit acts of violence against Jews. Federal agents arrested Sohaib Abu Yayish last month after he allegedly purchased a semi-auto handgun at a firing range in late September. On October 19th, federal agent filed a criminal complaint charging the suspect with unlawful possession of a firearm by an alien who had been committed, who had, who had admitted to the United States under non-immigrant visa. Um, basically, he was given a tourist, he came in on a tourist visa, expired in 2019. He later applied for asylum, received temporary work authorization until August 2025. However, the agent stated that it is not lawful for Abu Ayesh to possess a firearm. So in other words, pursuant to Biden's policies, he got, he was like, hey, you just come overstay your visa, come from a, he's a so-called Palestinian with Jordanian citizenship. By the way, Jordan is the Palestinian state. Comes here illegally or stays overstays his visa. Hey, here's six years of work authorization. Again, 
If you come from the worst parts of the world, you have the strongest case to claim asylum, but you're the str- there's the strongest likelihood that you are among the people that we originally envisioned we'd get asylees victims of asylum, of persecution. These are the persecutors. So technically, pursuant to Biden's stuff, he wasn't even here illegally, but again, he still was not allowed to possess a firearm, and that's how they're able to arrest him. But, um... It was discovered that Abu Yaish has been in direct contact with others who share a radical mindset, meaning others in the U.S., Muslims that we let in, that hate Jews, has been conducting physical training and has trained with weapons to possibly commit an attack. Um, a federal judge indicated last week that Abu Yaish was plotting an, to attack a Jewish gathering. So... Folks, this is where we are. This is where we are. We have Jews being chased out of every part of the world. We have Jews being told they're not allowed to live in their homeland, and if they do, they'll be slaughtered, and the entire world cheers it on. Then you have the United States, the home of the free, the land of the free, home of the brave, the last vestige, the last really source of political and religious asylum in this earth, as Sam Adams hoped our country to be. And now Jews have to spend Endless funding, endless funds to support a security apparatus against every gathering, every institution, right on our own soil because of this garbage we let in. And I'm not seeing any moral clarity on the part of Republicans to have a knockdown, drag out fight that the budget deadlines in 12 days that we will not fund any of this immigration nonsense. At least on the you know illegal immigration side of the border. Forget about the visas. Republicans will never touch that. Defunding Hamas, defunding the Palestinian Authority, defunding Lebanon. We give $1.2 billion in funding last two, three, two years, I think, to Lebanon. But, uh, yeah, no problem. We give billions to Jordan, billions to Iraq. It's all good. It's all good. But then we bring the problem right to our shores. It said that he was in touch with others who share that mindset. Now, we have about three and a half million Muslims we've let into the country now. That that number was thrown around in terms of the you know census of Muslims in the, in the U.S., I think around 2018, so it's only gone up since then. They're everywhere now. You go to any, like, apartment building, you'll, you'll, you'll find them. We had a brilliant idea. We're going to exclusively direct our immigration system to those places. The diversity visa lottery has roped in a lot of these countries. And uh, so we, we've we brought Nazis to our shore. You know, we have a law that, you know, even if you become a citizen, if you're found to be a Nazi, you could be denaturalized and deported. Yet we've brought in millions of people with that Nazi mindset. And I don't, I don't need to hear this Islamophobia. Yeah, it is phobia. It's like, it's kind of like a sheep has a, a wolf phobia. Sure. We don't hate them. They hate us. We fear them. It's not my fault. It's very sad. None of us want it to be that way. It's like, they all chant death to the Jews. It's like, Daniel, Islamophobia. Well, yeah, I mean, what do you want from me? I wish they didn't feel that way. They do. They largely do. Does every single one? No. But a heck of a massive percentage do. And that's a heck of a lot of people. 
So here we are. He's set to appear in court on the 13th. So we'll find out more in that case. But there is so much of this going on that's been covered up. And now they're all inspired to act. This is a very, very tough time. This has been pigeonholed by our government and media forever. But I'm going to rehash this history. You see, Hamas has a kinetic military in Israel, and that's what the Israelis are battling in Gaza. And as I've said, our government needs to stay the hell out of it and stop stop handcuffing them. But here, from a cultural, political, and subversion threat, but also a terror funding threat, Hamas is in every major city. They're in our legal system, and they're in our government, they're in our schools, they're everywhere. In fact, the Muslim Brotherhood pretty much has as strong of a, I would say, control over our government as BLM does. There's a lot of overlap. Obviously, the Muslim Brotherhood is the forerunner to Hamas. And together with their umbrella groups that they're called civil rights organizations, they fund and promote them on our shores. And as we watch their influence skyrocket throughout the West, just know that they control this administration. And that's why we need to designate them as a terrorist organization. The Muslim Brotherhood, really, a lot of people don't realize this. You've heard of you know ISIS and Al-Qaeda, Nusra, Shabab, Hezbollah. But the Muslim Brotherhood stands at the nexus of Sharia subversion and jihad throughout the world. And its affiliates are particularly powerful in their subversive agenda in this country. Terror groups like Shabab and Al-Qaeda, ISIS, Hezbollah, they could not command such popular support. As we see, like people are like, who supports Hamas? No one does. Well, actually, a lot do. They could not command that support without the grassroots efforts of the Muslim Brotherhood that radicalizes Muslims throughout the Western world. Richard Clark, who was national, national coordinator for counterterrorism under both Clinton and Bush, testified in 20, 2003, quote, the common link here is the extremist Muslim Brotherhood. All of these organizations, meaning Hamas, Islamic Jihad, Al-Qaeda, are descendants of the membership and ideology of the Muslim Brothers. Are descendants of the membership and ideology of the Muslim Brothers. I want you to understand that. Okay? ISIS and Al-Qaeda don't have a permanent political presence in our country, but the Muslim Brotherhood and its affiliates, such as the Council on American-Islamic Relations, they absolutely do. And in fact, they run the Biden administration. If you want to know why so many Muslims living in America are demonstrating in support of Hamas, shouting these slogans, that is where it comes from. So yes, we have the suicidal immigration. That's the first part of it. And then you have the Muslim Brotherhood to radicalize them in the communities and then advocate at a public policy level within the government. And that, you know, obviously has bearings on our domestic policy, but also our foreign policy. So whereas the Muslim Brotherhood operatives in Israel, Egypt, Syria, and Turkey are the ones that you see like in uniform, the mass dancing around with the AK-47s, butchering Jews in Israel, their North American operatives, such as those associated with CARE, 
they're clever enough to wear suits to give them a veneer of legitimacy. But they're part of the same terror network. The same terror network. And this has been pigeonholed. And I want to remind people of the Holy Land Down, Holy Land Foundation trial and what what the Fifth Circuit has found and uh, and why we need to revisit this. First, our final sponsor today is from our very own in-house. You know, look, I'll, I'll admit, there are so many stories that get pigeonholed that I myself don't have time to delve into them. One of them is what really happened in Maui. Okay, you all know what happened leading up to the events during and after make no sense. How many children? We don't even know the death toll there. Whatever happened with the missing children? How did they prevent them from leaving? Nothing makes sense. What we're doing now at Blaze Media is we are starting this new series, okay? A new series of called Blaze Originals, docu-series from the Blaze TV to try to make sure these things don't get pigeonholed. And our first one is what really happened in Maui. And obviously this is – it's uncensored because it's through our, um, our own uh, network. So you, know, you watch it on Blaze TV – and we have revealing new aspects, new part, new things never heard before, including audio from actual 911 calls. You're going to want to hear it. If you're not already a Blaze TV subscriber, there's a great, great deal at blazetv.com. Uh, you, you could use promo code Daniel Plus, all is one word, Daniel, P-L-U-S. You get, you get 36 bucks off. I mean, I think right now if you – order the entire year rather than doing it month by month it's something like $84 for the entire year so you get 36 bucks off right now and then you could um that way you won't miss our first episode coming up what really happened in Maui again subscribe blazetv.com offer code daniel plus so folks it's important to understand that the muslim brotherhood okay they were they started in 1928 in in uh, Egypt. Okay, that's where it was founded, and that's why it still has the strongest presence. That's why the Muslim Brotherhood is actually banned to this day in Egypt, even as it controls our own government. Um, I'm forgetting the name of that dude who founded it, Albani or something, um, but it was in, in uh, 1928. And, and that's, by the way, a very important year because very very important to 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 remember <clears throat> because although Islam had been violent on and off since its founding with Muhammad you go to a large degree before 1928 and you didn't have these ubiquitous problems in other words you had Jews really you know living in the holy land uh forever and particularly in the 1700s, and largely there wasn't a problem. You had a local uh, indigenous Jewish population. You had a local like Bedouin Arab population. You had the Muslim Turks who weren't Arab. They were non-Arab Muslims who controlled it. And, and largely speaking, they lived in peace. There's a whole history behind that. The, the first time you had ubiquitous jihad of kind of this, what you saw uh, on October 7th, although, you know, that was the most people ever killed. It was the largest scale. But you had that throughout 
the, these pogroms. And the pogroms began against Jews in 1929 in Hebron. And this is really where the Muslim Brotherhood took off as kind of this quasi-revival. Like, you know, you have Christian revival movements. So it was a Muslim revivalist movement, but one rooted in violence. And it was rooted in just subversion and takeover. That's where it all began in the late 20s. And then, so throughout the 30s and 40s, you just had this um, uh, just jihad against Jews everywhere. Um, and, and largely, this is where uh, the buddings of the Israeli Defense Forces, it was called the Irgun, these uh, Jewish militias where Jews got into, you know, before then, Jews were really very um, non-militaristic people. They didn't, they didn't know how to fight, didn't, you know, it was just, you know, all, all the way since they were kicked out of uh, Judeo by the Romans, they never really, you never had organized Jewish militias and armies. And it, it really began in response to that in the 30s and 40s. And that's when they started advocating for statehood. Um, now, obviously, it was promised in 1917 by the British, but then they weren't fulfilling it. And they were like, look, I mean, you're not doing anything to protect us against the Arab slaughter. But the Grand Mufti of Jerusalem and Husseini, obviously meeting with Hitler in the 1930s, that was all born out of the Muslim Brotherhood movement. Okay, that, that was like what BLM did, the watershed moment in 2020, that's kind of what 1928 was to the Muslim world with the birth of the Muslim Brotherhood. Now, obviously, we didn't have mass Islam brought into the United States really until, <coughs> I say, the 90s. But the first generation started to come in the 70s. And those, even 60s, and those were the ones that sowed the seeds in the colleges is really where you start saw it first and started all these Muslim Brotherhood organizations. Most of them were Egyptian um, nationals. Um, you know, but you had some others like Kuwaitis. Let's not forget Musa Abu Marzuk, you you might hear this name a lot. Marzuk, he he is the number three dude in Hamas. Okay, he's one of the dudes hanging out uh, in in a hotel in Qatar. Believe it or not, he was living throughout the eighties and nineties in Texas. He was deported to Jordan in nineteen ninety seven. You know he should have been executed, but he was deported. And, I mean, you would be shocked at how many of the top terrorists in the world did a stint in America. That, that, that's what I'm saying. Remember, it's not just the fact that we have a bunch of Muslims in, in America that kind of support this stuff. You had cells in these communities. That's where 9-11 and the 93 World Trade Center bombing. You had these communities and mosques and individuals that worked with them that to this day are either at large in America or are fugitives throughout the world. So the preeminent organization in America is, again, CARE, Council on American Islamic Relations. They become basically the de facto representatives of Muslims in America. And... It was founded in 1994 by three leaders of the Islamic Association of Palestine, IAP, Omar Ahmed, Niyad Awad, and Rafiq Habir. It was one of the Muslim Brotherhood organizations mentioned in the infamous 1991 
document that wasn't supposed to get in the hands of the infidel, but the FBI discovered it in a raid, the explanatory memorandum. So basically, a federal judge, this federal judge, Jorge Solis, implicated um, in this Holy Land Foundation terror trial when they found this Holy Land Foundation was a 501c3 run out of Indiana by Muslims in America, it was funding Hamas. And what basically Judge Jorge Solis found is that it wasn't just, okay, you have this one rogue organization in America funding Hamas. It basically exposed that the entirety of, it it would be like the Billy Grahams, okay, of Islam, the Jerry Falwells of Islam were all roped into it. The individuals, the organizations, it would be like the top Southern Baptist organizations equivalent, you know, funding terror. That that would be the Christian equivalent. I mean, these were the top organizations. It's not like, yeah, like there was a handful of rogue things. They, they were exclusively involved in it. In fact, there wasn't a single one that wasn't. So they, they found that care, the Islamic Society of North America and the North American Islamic Trust were all roped in. And then all these organizations sued because basically it's called an unindicted co-conspirator. Basically, they're not on trial yet. There were seven individuals on trial from the Holy Land Foundation. But the j- judge basically said these guys are all conspirators. So Care and other Muslim bros sued to have their names expunged from the trial record. And in the 2009 order, Jorge Solis noted, no, that this is accurate, that the government has produced ample evidence to establish the associations of Care Isna, the NAIT, with the Holy Land Foundation, the Islamic Association for Palestine, the IAP, and with Hamas. And he cited the 1991 memorandum. Quote, understanding the role of the Muslim Brotherhood in North America as a kind of grand jihad in eliminating and destroying the Western civilization from within and sabotaging its miserable house by their hands and the hands of the believers so that it is eliminated and God's religion is made victorious over all other religions. That is the role of the Muslim Brotherhood. It's their own document. It wasn't meant to fall into the hands of the FBI, but it did in 1991, and Judge Solis cited this. Now, how, just to understand how deeply embedded Hamas is in America— one of the seven defendants in the Holy Land trial, in the Holy Land Foundation trial, was Mufid Abul Jeez, oh, I can't. Abdul Qadir. He's a Kuwaiti immigrant who is none other than the half brother of Khalid Mashal, that is the leader of Hamas in Qatar. So Marzuk, the number three guy, used to live here and was deported. The number one guy, his half brother was one of the unindicted co-conspirators. Another one was Michal's cousin, Akram Michal, shared the same surname. Both Michal and Abdullah Qadr remain fugitives to this day. We've never followed up, and, and, and that's the thing. This has been dropped. Since the 2008 expose, when they were unindicted co-conspirator in the Fifth Circuit Court, and then the district judge upheld it in 2009, we have not moved the needle one inch. This was another, you know, place where the Trump administration just dropped the ball. 
you know, we, we, we tried to work with people to have a, you know, Holy Land Foundation trial part two and go after them. We tried to push, Ted Cruz had, had a bill at the time to designate the Muslim Brotherhood as a terror organization. But we, we need that. And we need, I, I think, an action on it now. I don't know the complications of what authority states do have and don't have. Obviously, they won't be able to interfere with the feds. But I don't think for state purposes, there's a reason why states cannot designate the Muslim Brotherhood as a terror organization. So it's something you might want to push in your respective legislatures. Now, you might be wondering, how in the world do Muslims have so much clout? I mean, as we well know, um, there's a tremendous amount of Jewish donors, very secular, liberal Jews, that bankroll colleges. And you look right now, the influence of Jewish donors versus Muslims, it's like 99 to 1. I mean, the Muslims control everything. I mean, as you're well seeing, the curriculum, the intimidation, everything going on in colleges. That comes from the Muslim Student Association. That was one of the original early Muslim Brotherhood organizations founded in 1963 at the University of Illinois um, uh, Urbana-Champaign. And that it was started by a bunch of Muslim bros at the time. And that is why you have all this subversion. What is the MSA? A 2007 New York Police Department report noted that MSA is a place where extremists have used this university-based organization as forums for the development and recruitment of like-minded individuals, providing a receptive platform for younger American-born imams to present a radical message in a way that resonates with the students. They also noted that the MSA chapters have been permeated by Salafi-based radicalization. Again, that's what you find in Egyptian Muslim Brotherhood and Saudi Arabia, and that's basically the undergirdings of all terror organizations you have in the Middle East, the Salafist uh, way of uh, thinking. But, you know, they, they try to put a, a spin on it that resonates with American-born Muslims. And, again, this is an NYPD report. This is what we should have focused on after 9-11. We should have stopped the Muslim immigration and then focus on the... Again, no one's saying to clamp down on freedom of speech. But we literally have terrorists, terrorist supporters, terrorist harbors, terror funders in the U.S. And they just happen to be every major Muslim organization. Now, I could go through, there's endless list of terrorist alumni from MSA. But I'll just give you two. Ramzi Youssef, he was basically the ringleader of the 1993 World Trade Center bombing. He's currently serving a life sentence. He was a co-founder of the Rutgers chapter of MSA. Rutgers is one of the worst. There's a lot of videos from there with Muslim violence. They're full of Muslims there as New Jersey has become a Muslim state. Um, But he was the co-founder of the MSA at Rutgers. And the most famous is perhaps Enwar al-Awlaki. He was the president of the Colorado State MSA during the 90s. Um, If you don't remember al-Awlaki, two weeks after 9-11... According to FBI documents released in 2013, our government knew that Al-Awlaki 
bought airline tickets for Mohammed Atta and two of the other hijackers. The flights were in the summer of 2001, so a couple months before they, they did dry runs. Yet, as Fox News reported in 2010, Al-Awlaki was hosted by the military at the Pentagon several months after his disciples flew planes into it for the purpose of outreach to the Muslim community. Do you, you understand that? A couple months, we reached out to the man who is the MSA, one of the big guys at MSA. I forgot where he was born, but he immigrated to the U.S. a while before. And he is the guy that was behind the plot with Muhammad Atta. And he was one of the ones. It's not just like, okay, we reached out to like a sympathetic imam. An imam that is sympathetic to jihad, but he's kind of just like a freelance guy. No, no. This is a guy who was behind the 9-11 plot. Met in the Pentagon lunchroom a couple months after his disciples flew planes into it. Documents secured by Jihad Watch confirmed that Al-Awlaki was in the crosshairs of law enforcement several other times between 2002 and 2007, but was mysteriously released each time. He is suspected of directing the underwear bomber, the Christmas bomber in 2009, and was in contact with Nidal Hassan, the guy who killed 13 at Fort Hood. So this guy was allowed to be part of Muslim outreach for years and planned subsequent terror attacks, Christmas bombing, Fort Hood, until finally he fled. I forgot when. Um, maybe right around 2009, 2010, he fled to Yemen and he was killed in a drone strike by the, by, by the military. Can you imagine having a white organization, like a white student union, that not only shouted like, you know, the N-word and, and, you know, death to blacks and whatever, but literally had like alumni that went on to kill people and were terrorists. Rather than following up on this case, this Holy Land Foundation case, at every level and actually prosecuting these groups while banishing the Muslim Brotherhood, Umbrella organizations from polite society, meaning treat them like the KKK times a million, the government indulged their leaders as legitimate partners with the Muslim community. With so many new people coming from the Middle East every year, how, how do they even have a chance to assimilate into Americanism if these are the ones leading their community and legitimized by our government? It's not just that we're letting them in, that naturally they'll have a lot of you know proclivity for... Uh, you know, these these issues. But the fact that our government, I mean, to the extent there are voices like Zudi Jasser and, you know, I quoted this guy, Imam from Texas, that said we need to shut down Muslim immigration because we're having a problem with our youth. I mean, you could find them here and there. These are the ones we should have elevated. Instead, our government empowers groups like CARE and these others to go after them. Just like we talked about Friday with the government empowering the these NGOs to go after conservatives. So to be fair, I mean, it's hard to know how much enlightenment there could potentially be among Muslims because our government ensures that none exists. So it's the Muslim immigration is step one. And step two is allow the Muslim Brotherhood not just to operate, but to become the leaders of Muslim outreach and then literally run policy 
I mean, you have no idea how many people, I mean, we have Iranian spies, but we also have Muslim bros at the highest levels of DHS, DOD, and the State Department. Todd Benzman wrote a great um, uh, piece at the New York Post. It's called, just Google Todd Benjamin, Benzman Attachment A. And Attachment A refers to the 11-page list by the U.S. Attorney's Office in Dallas. Remember, Benzman was a reporter in Dallas back then, and he covered it, um, that they submitted to the court. The 11-page list has all the unindicted co-conspirators. And he has a link to that document in his uh, article there. And he notes there's about 246 individuals and entities cited there. Again, it's the top leaders that you can imagine. And he says he sat down with a man named James Jacks, who is the lead prosecutor in the Holy Land Foundation trial. And he said it could be something that an agent could look at as a predicate for fresh preliminary investigations. It would be something that would have to be within the statute of limitations. So you basically would have to find recent evidence of providing material support. There certainly could be more fundraising going on prompted by the military action over there. If people here are sympathetic, they could be more motivated to give money now. One of those reconstituted from an entity on the HLF list has just found itself in the crosshairs again, although not a federal prosecution, but from an unlikely quarter, the Virginia Attorney General Jason Amiaris, and I, I give Jason credit, the state's consumer protection section has opened an investigation into American Muslims for Palestine for potential violations of Virginia's charitable solicitation laws. Um, so that that he, he, he should get credit for that, and other states need to do this. The allegations against AMP come from a civil lawsuit still pending from the Holy Land Foundation case by the Boim family in Illinois. Basically, it's an American family, uh, Jewish uh, family that um, they sued because I think they had a son who was in Israel who was killed by a suicide bomber from Hamas. So basically, they were trying to hit up HLF um, with a lawsuit because they were funding it. And that is a, a still pending lawsuit that's important. And it basically claims that the Islamic Association of Palestine which is listed on that co-conspirator list, um, has evaded judgment. Um, and look, these groups are alive and well. Page five, you obviously have CARE, which is probably the preeminent Muslim organization. Despite the fact that wiretaps and FBI agent testimony during the HLF trial showed CARE worked as an influence operation for Hamas, in America. Even the ADL admits that care leaders often traffic in anti-Semitic, anti-Zionist rhetoric and have cultivated suspicion among the public toward a wide array of American Jewish institutions. The September 2013 Department of Justice Office of Inspector General, so DOJ IG report noted the evidence at trial linked care leaders to Hamas a specifically designated terrorist organization, and CARE was named an un, as an undicted co-conspirator. Um, and, and there you go. Another entity is ISNA, 
The Islamic Society of North America, whose leaders raise money and have, have uh, tolerated venomous anti-Jewish canards at annual conventions. So they were listed there as well. Um, and this is what we have in America. We have Hamas that has permeated every aspect of society. And we've known this. I've been yelping about this for, for 16, 17 years. And now you see how is there, I mean, th- like this is on par with BLM. And it's like, whoa, I mean, obviously black agitating organizations have many more people. How could they be on par? Because we allowed it to go on. <clears throat> it gets worse. I-, I want you guys to Google counterterrorism expert Patrick Poole. We used to have him on the show all the time. In 2010, he wrote a white paper on 10 jihadists living in America who are involved with terrorism and still have ties to either the 9-11 terror cells or some other stuff after that. And one such figure is Ali Muhammad, Al-Qaeda's security chief who is allowed to infiltrate our special forces training soldiers in Arabic culture at Fort Bragg after being expelled from Egypt in the 1980s. So this guy was expelled from Egypt in the 1980s, brought in here to train our special forces on Islamic culture at Fort Bragg. He was schooling U.S.-based Islamic militants in weapons, explosives, and martial arts, including the cell responsible for the 1993 World Trade Center bombing. So he was training special forces, and he was training Islamists on explosives, martial arts, and some of them wound up being responsible for 93. He also helped transport bin Laden from Afghanistan to, to Sudan, trained the Somali forces who attacked our soldiers in a Black Hawk Down, helped arrange the cell responsible for the 98 U.S. Embassy bombings in Kenya and Tanzania, and arranged a U.S. fundraising tour for, for Ayam al-Zawiri, who is the man who took over al-Qaeda after bin Laden. Likely still around, maybe, we don't know. So this is, this is what we let in. Another guy is Sheikh Kifa Mustafa. He, he is one of the ones personally named as an individual as an undicted co-conspirator in that HLF uh, Attachment A document. A year later, he was given a tour of O'Hare Airport as a member of the FBI's Citizen Academy. He, he was given a tour of the airport, the largest airport. While we're like stripped search, they get him involved in the Citizens Academy to get citizens involved in FBI counterterrorism. You know, we, we were talking about, you know, our citizens patrol last week. Well, they have their own. The guy, literally, this is like years after he was um, named as an unindicted fundraiser for Hamas. I mean, this is out in the open. He was a member of the FBI Citizens Academy, given a tour of O'Hare. Earlier in 2010, Mustafa's behavior was so bad that the Illinois State Police fired him as a Muslim chaplain in the police in the, in the um, for the police. When Mustafa filed a lawsuit with the help of the Muslim Brotherhood Affiliated Care, even the Democrat Attorney General was appalled by him. Then Attorney General Lisa Madigan filed a motion in federal court in 2013, noting that Mustafa aided and abetted or at least cheered for terrorism after he was caught on a video chanting terrorist lyrics. 
Um, yeah. So, folks, that's that's where we are. They are everywhere. We need states and Congress to designate the Muslim Brotherhood as a terrorist organization. And if that includes designating every major Muslim organization a terrorist, then so be it, because that's what they are. I mean, they're so ubiquitous. This is not even like New York and Chicago. I don't know if you guys saw... um, Bashir, who's the governor of Kentucky, Democrat, because Republicans are so incompetent. Now, there is an election uh, tomorrow, and we're going to see what happens in Virginia. We'll try to cover it, but there is the Kentucky governor's race. So the Democrat, um, Bashir's um, had this, like, you know, a, a campaign rally. Again, this is Kentucky, not New York, and it turned into a Hamas rally. You had a bunch of ragheads there, and they're chanting, like, the Hamas slogans. So this is what we have. This is what we have. And yet I'm not seeing any moral clarity on the budget from Republicans to say we will stick all this in there. Notice what I do. I take a news cycle and go back and talk about all the things that we should have been doing and action items. We don't see that anywhere. But you know what? We're going to provide that to you here. So I just wanted to give you kind of one self-contained show. And there's obviously so much more. The amount of people we let in and allowed to operate indefinitely on our shores that are directly funding and related to and active and participated in terrorism as the biggest Muslim leaders that needs to be dealt with and needs to be dealt with. Mind you, think about this network that I've uncovered for you. 100% of the FBI counterterrorism is focused on people like you and me. That, my friends, is anarcho-tyranny. That's what we need to fight. Again, you could sign up, patriotacademy.com slash Daniel to learn how to get trained. We have these hyenas everywhere, and they are inspired and empowered more than ever. We got a problem here on our own shores. We have brought Gaza to our shores. And that's just how it is. Till tomorrow. God bless y'all. Thank you for listening. And Isaiah 5417.